Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by BrainFuel. Remember, you can get 15% off your next purchase at brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com, with the code LIFO15, L-I-F-O-1-5 at checkout. And if you like BrainFuel, give us a shout out, comment, share, and leave a review. Today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast, powered by Brain Fuel, and here uh, on today's Sports ETA episode, uh, really excited for uh, a, a really robust panel. Um, we've got Jason Siegel uh, from the Greater Orlando Sports Commission. Uh, we've got Terry Hasseltine, the Executive Director of Maryland Sports, Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission, and Jackie Rowe. Uh, the, with the Cincinnati uh, Sports Commission as well. And just excited to talk about the 2026 World Cup bid process. Uh, certainly, you know, your cities are in the mix along with a couple of others. But um, I, I want to, before we get started into that conversation, just a really quick GPS as to how you got to where you are, because I personally find sports commissions fascinating. Um, they're a big player in our industry in terms of the events, the big events that. Um, are all put on across many, many venues. Um, and so uh, we'll start with you, Monica. How did you get to where you are? Real quick, I'm throwing you on the hot seat. Man, on the hot seat, right. Uh, well, I've been here over 12 years. Uh, my start really was in the uh, national governing body world. So USA Volleyball, USA Taekwondo, National Senior Games for a little bit. So I came from the client side and I happened to be a client of uh, Dallas for oh, I don't know, four or five different events and the job popped open. And uh, through my various event experience and relationships there, I was fortunate enough to uh, be selected here in Dallas. So uh, I've really enjoyed the, the growth over the time that I've been here. We'll move west, or uh, not west, north, Jackie. West is going nowhere because Terry's <laughs> in Maryland and, and Jason's in Orlando. So we're not going west. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, so I'm a volunteer with the Cincinnati Sports Commission on the local organizing committee for our World Cup bid. And um, with our company Game Day, we have been a partner with uh, Sports ETA for now over a decade. So it's been great. I've, you know, I've known these colleagues um, for a number of years, always impressed with what they do. But, you know, for me, sports commissions are so important to um, our destinations. They're, they're really the glue of the community in so many ways in terms of bringing events rights holders together with community partners, sporting teams, media, hotel partners. So, um, you know, anytime we can talk about the important work of sports commissions, I'm there. Jason. Yeah, Jake, thanks for the opportunity to join you today and good to see my colleagues as always. Uh, I started in the industry in 1987. I was part of the Hartford Whalers organization and uh, moved uh, on to Madison Square Garden, was with the Rangers organization, Dallas, Phoenix, and then uh, spent the majority of my time in the National Hockey League in New Jersey with the Devils. I came to Orlando in 2011 my college roommate and I uh, purchased a minor league franchise, the uh, Orlando Solar Bears hockey team, uh, an expansion franchise, brought them here to Orlando. We, uh, we sold them to the Orlando Magic. And uh, after, uh, well, as, as that was happening, I uh, had an opportunity and I'm currently in my fifth year, uh, almost sixth year uh, with the Greater Orlando Sports Commission. 
Terry, last but not least. Yeah, um, I've been here in Maryland now for uh, going on 13 years. Uh, prior to that, I spent time in uh, the Commonwealth of Kentucky in the city of Louisville, where I had the pleasure of meeting you know, Monica. We worked on the senior games there together. Um, prior to that, I was on the collegiate athletic side. I um, worked for the NCAA and the NAI and a few institutions. Um, it was nice to transition from the event side where I was traveling all the time, as you know, some of my colleagues here can contest to. You know, you had all the conferences, all the trade shows to finally be able to go to the, the destination side where you get to put on events, you know, but at the end of the day, you get to go home and sleep in your own bed. That was kind of a really big thing, especially, you know, guy with a young family at the time. So I've been very fortunate to be on the sports commission and at the state and the city level now for probably going on 20 plus years. So I uh, love what I do. Love to be around my colleagues here whenever we get a chance to talk about the sports commission industry, because you know, we understand the value of it. And every day is a new ride and a new roller coaster. And we just go after it with gusto and you know, try to make good things happen for our destinations. No, that's great. And, and obviously all very seasoned professionals in that uh, we accomplished that pretty quickly. That was great. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to start off with the World Cup because there's plenty of events that go on throughout the entire year that you're constantly involved in. And then you just have this like lingering massive event that you think you might get, but you're not really sure. And then you're putting all these documents together. So where does it even start to go? Yeah, let's actually try and go get that. Uh, or do we even bother, you know, applying in the process? Jason, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, just to, you know, go back a little ways and give some perspective. I mean, we, we were we were all sent the letters uh, from FIFA back, uh, U.S. Soccer, of course, their partner back in uh, July of 2017. So we're coming up on uh, the fourth anniversary of this uh, exercise. And uh, I think uh, if I'm remembering correctly, there were 52 venues and 47 cities that responded to that request for uh, not necessarily a proposal right away. I think it was just interest. And then later on came the proposal. So for us, uh, we were all in right away. Um, we uh, had hosted World Cup back in 1994, knew the value. Our community was uh, in tune with uh, all of the um, uh, opportunities that it presented uh, for our community. And it's tenfold compared to what had taken place now 26 years ago, 27 years ago. And uh, I think that uh, it was interesting in that so much of our leadership here in Orlando was in some sort of a similar role. Obviously, many years have passed, but um, our, uh, our county mayor was uh, uh, the head of the, uh, the police force that uh, was then uh, at, at our Citrus Bowl. Our mayor was, uh, was in uh, politics and Florida politics back then and in our community at the time. So a lot of folks uh, uh, were familiar with uh, the event itself. And of course, uh, once you start to roll out the numbers and share uh, what the opportunity looks like, knowing of course that uh, as we would go through this process, we would learn an awful lot more, which we have. Uh, we were very bullish on the opportunity and we didn't have uh, any dissension whatsoever. Everybody was all in. We had a collaborative community ready to uh, 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 take on this opportunity to uh, to host. I mean, the community is obviously a big, big component of it. There's many, many, many constituents that we'll get into it that, that play a factor in all of this. But Monica, you live in, or in, you're responsible for a city that's got one of the biggest stadiums and scoreboards. So 
how do you even go about thinking, okay, where, if we got this, where would it go? And you kind of start that process as a whole. Well, I mean, uh, I, I'm going to start back in uh, like 2010. So I told you that uh, I've been here over 12 years. And uh, so I got here at the end of 2000, 2008. Uh, and I believe in 2009, the bid process for the 2018 and 2022 World Cup started. So literally, I was on the job for six months and got handed, here you go, here's a World Cup bid, not knowing, not having the relationships uh, to, to go through that. So it was actually through that process. Uh, 2009 is when AT&T Stadium was built. Uh, so we had some experience uh, hosting events in, the, in, in that stadium. So kind of knew what we were getting ourselves into, had hosted some international soccer events, have the relationship with the Mexico national team. So uh, yeah, I mean, when this opportunity came back around, it was a, I received a phone call on a Friday, pretty in the afternoon, 4.30. Hey, uh, we're anticipating possibly bidding for a World Cup again. Are you in? I'm like, absolutely. I've been waiting seven years for this again. Uh, we are definitely uh, in. Um, and yeah, from a stadium standpoint, we have a lot to choose from. AT&T Stadium, uh, obviously Cotton Bowl Stadium is where the World Cup was hosted in 1994 when I was here. But uh, we proposed both of them and uh, really left it to the United Bid Committee, U.S. Soccer and, and FIFA to kind of make some of those decisions. Uh, so we know through a hospitality standpoint and the suites and then the experience, uh, AT&T Stadium is that premier one, which we're, we have been very open and honest about. We want a final, and if not a final, we want a semifinal. Um, but uh, I still think that there's a lot of opportunity for Cotton Bowl Stadium and some of the others uh, that we have proposed for base camps, training centers, that sort of thing. And I, I think our plan for CONCACAF Gold Cup, which is coming up here in July, is to really try to showcase uh, all of our facilities and, and what that experience for a World Cup may look like. Because, I mean, really within less than a month, we're going to have nine international soccer uh, matches here in market. In terms of the stadiums and the facilities, you might think, hey, I need to have X, Y, and Z by the time it hits 2026 in order to be prepared, but you still don't know if you're going to have it. So at what point do you start some of the renovations if you needed to, or, you know, how do you, how do you go about that process of making some of those decisions with kind of the unknown out there of whether you're going to get it or not? Terry? Well, from our perspective, we've done all the, the pre-analysis of what FIFA is asking us, you know, what they're asking us maybe to shift our stadium into, you know, obviously it's an NFL stadium that has, you know, sight lines that are, you know, great for American football. And however, we have gone through the due diligence with our partners to, you know, do the renderings, do the archi um, architectural designs as to what it would look like if we raised the pitch, if we bumped out some areas. So we have all of the things aligned and in place should, you know, the opportunity come and FIFA and U.S. Soccer knock at our door and say, hey, Baltimore, Maryland, you're one of the 10 cities hosting matches in 2026. How long will it take you to do this process? Well, we've worked all those calendars out. You know, we're one of the, the fortunate, you know, locations where we have an NFL team. However, the state owns the facility. The Maryland Stadium Authority, which is our parent organization, um, is responsible for the oversight and upkeep of the state asset. So it's not just a team that would have to make this commitment and, and investment. It's the state 
and our city partners would have to dive in to be a part of a triangular effect of you know, team, city, state, and how we would make these things work. But we also know that logistically and operationally that our stadium sets up you know, well for soccer. When we hosted the CONCACAF Gold Cup in 13 and 15, you know, rave reviews um, for how our logistics in our building worked, the logistics to our community, the logistics to our training sites. We probably have one of the tightest footprints being presented as part of the World Cup currently with our stadium, our fan fest and our hotel infrastructure, all walkable. Um, only two of our training sites are not walkable um, as it currently stands to our downtown environment core. So we feel very fortunate that we are presenting one of the tightest uh, footprints in the World Cup bid, but it all starts with planning as all, you know, the other three on this call are doing, we're planning, we're, we're plotting, we're trying to figure out what's best. We're also trying to do some vision work too here. Like we might have things that exist today, but we're hoping that through the process of the World Cup that we're leaving our communities better and stronger by, you know, what are some of the things that we can leave behind because the World Cup hit our market? You know, you know, Jason and, um, you know, Monica had, had this experience because they've hosted World Cups back in 1994 and saw what the, that vision play was for their community in, in long term. You know, we, on the other hand, see that and we learn from our, our counterparts because, you know, that's what our industry is so good about. We learn from each other. We learn the nuances. We learn the quirks. We know how to, you know, what's good, what's bad and different because there's a communication within our, our, our industry that you don't see in a lot of levels of other industry across the board. And because of that, we feel that we're in a really good spot, you know, because of those learnings to, to really move the, the World Cup needle forward and put Baltimore on the, on the map hosting World Cup matches in 26. Jackie, when you think about going through the process and whether you are selected or not, does even just going through the process teach you a whole lot so that you're even more prepared for the next one so that there are some things you can, as Monica was saying, she was waiting seven years for the next, you know, invitation. Are there things that you're then doing along the way or almost like bolstering your resume in a sense to be that much more prepared for the next time if you're not selected? Sure. I mean, it's, it's just a tremendous honor to be on the list with uh, these 16 other cities uh, as the conversation goes on. And I'll have to take it back to 2015. We were just coming off the really successful Major League Baseball All-Star Game. You know, of course, Cincinnati is the home of professional baseball. And the Castellini family, who owns the Reds, had um, helped produce that. And it was a really strong community event with legacy projects. I would argue the best ever home run derby in the history of Major League Baseball with Todd Frazier, who was a red, crushing it. Um, and so we had a great local organizing committee. We just got the band back together and looked at the bid together and said, you know, we can do this. And I'm really, I'm really proud that Jeff Birding, who's the um, co-founder and president of FC Cincinnati, and of course, Carl Lindner, the majority owner, are at the helm. And they are truly visionaries. And I can't wait for my colleagues on this call to come see TQL Stadium. It is a work of art. It's amazing in so many ways from not only the player amenities, the pitch, but the fan experience. And it's located in a very historic area of downtown Cincinnati, the West End. And how they've convened the neighborhood, the businesses in that area, the um, just community engagement is, is remarkable. So we've got, we've got that amazing stadium. And I should also mention, it's been amazing how we've always been a World Cup crazy city on the women's side, because we've had Heather Mitz, we've had Rose Lavelle, and we're you know, just so proud of those gals. And we celebrate them like crazy. 
when they come back with their trophies and they always do. And, you know, the mayor will give them the key to the city and everything. So we have World Cup watch parties. We, all of our bars and taverns go crazy for World Cup. So with FC coming on board, you know, just as a USL team a couple of years ago, and then moving so quickly to MLS, we really feel positioned um, to put a, a really good bid forward. Um, I'm really, really excited just about the community collaboration and, you know, to Terry's point, there's a lot of due diligence that goes in with this bid. And we're in a really um, great spot in that the lease with Hamilton County, which owns Paul Brown Stadium, which is our NFL facility, as you know, um, that is up 2026 with the Cincinnati Bengals. So with that lease agreement is a complete renovation um, project that's already been approved. The budget's there. The money is there. So we have been working very collaboratively with the county, the city, of course, the Bengals and FIFA and U.S. soccer to just overlay those specs. And while the construction is being done, so it's, it's just a really good time for Cincinnati to um, have the infrastructure in place as well as the budget. Everyone's trying to showcase their city. There's all these nuances in terms of, you know, the players in, in, the, in the location, but let's face it, the World Cup is global, right? So out of the four on this call, who's got the best airport? We do. Everyone does, right? <laughs> uh, Jason, I mean, I toss it to you, Orlando, right? Obviously, worldwide of sports, um, you've, there's quite a few people flying in and out in terms of whether it's Disney World or, or anything else. How much does the airport actually play a role in this um, component of, of the process? Yeah, I think it plays uh, a big role. Um, you know, for us here, uh, when it comes to hosting, I mean, certainly it's in our DNA. Um, 50 million folks uh, through our airports on an annual basis, 76 million visitors in 2019. And um, I think when you start to talk about the relationships, that collaboration with uh, the folks in our airport, um, it's not just you know, oh, by the way, we called them and said, the World Cup was uh, a possibility. Can we get together? We're working in tandem with those folks on a regular basis, whether it's uh, Visit Orlando that's uh, working on trade shows and conventions, but you know, certainly leisure and sport and all the work that we're doing uh, throughout the year. Um, those are good relationships and, and great partnerships, uh, folks that are willing to uh, uh, go the extra mile. They understand what the economic impact. We think that um, for our community, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 million to a billion dollars worth of impact um, if we're fortunate enough to be selected. So um, stakes are high and certainly a tremendous opportunity. So to have them involved, and I think, you know, there's sort of these other intangibles, uh, MCO, Orlando, uh, we have our executive uh, airport, and of course, uh, the airport in Sanford. So you've got three different uh, ways to get into our community uh, when you're flying in. And I think the, um, the, uh, the cost uh, for that um, life enthusiast, the, that FIFA, uh, you know, that FIFA patron and, and fan uh, that's going to be either traveling internationally or they're going to be coming in uh, and going from city to city and, and, and hopping around uh, to the different points uh, and different hosts throughout the country. Um, it's one of the uh, least expensive airports to fly into, and I think that some of those 
um, you know, as we share some of that with uh, our friends at FIFA, um, you, you hope to gain as many competitive advantages as you possibly can, because uh, that first touch point could be uh, as they uh, touch down at uh, MCO here in Orlando. And we have to make sure that the experience starts from the second they, uh, they get off the plane. It's that fan journey. Uh, gotta love it. And, and before we get to our brain fuel segment, I want to go around the horn in terms of um, one thing that you've learned through the process so far that someone from the outside just would have no clue about. Well, I've got to go. Go for it. Yeah. Turf, turf, and more turf. <laughs> We're on a one-hour call with FIFA and U.S. Soccer. 47 minutes will be dedicated to the turf. And that's important, right? We've got world-class athletes coming who need to be given the best um, playing service that we can. And we are so fortunate here in Cincinnati. We have the Moats Group, and um, they are a world-class turf provider. And uh, they're literally located about uh, 10 minutes from my home office. And um, they've been terrific advisors. They're FIFA vendors. And I've learned so much about turf and the, the system that supports the turf that um, it's been a really fascinating uh, project. And I understand why um, earth science is so important in high school. <laughs> Monica, Terry, what do you, what do you have? Well, I'll go with uh, something that I'm sure we're all putting finishing touches on right now uh, with a deadline coming up of uh, June 30th uh, here, but uh, FIFA has each of the cities putting together a human rights plan and really uh, one of the first times that this has ever been done at a city level, especially in the host candidate city. But uh, it, it has been pretty uh, impactful in terms of engaging uh, stakeholders and really tackling subjects, whether it be homelessness, LGBTQ rights, migrant rights, uh, wages, um, human and sex trafficking, a lot of different uh, uh, topics that, you know, through the World Cup, um, hopefully we can better our, our city, uh, provide a better place for our residents, ensure that our, uh, the players that are coming here, coaches, the fans, all of the, those people, the media, um, have an enjoyable experience in our city, in our country, in each of our cities, because uh, I, I think we have each uh, individual different topics, maybe that are more critical for some cities than the other, um, but really trying to better our place and kind of leave a legacy, a different type of legacy maybe than most people think about uh, when we talk about sporting events. So I think a lot of people were like, really? Human rights uh, plan? I'm like, yep. Uh, and it's it, it's pretty impactful. So not not an evacuation plan, not, a, not any of that uh, stuff that you're used to. I'm sure we're going to have evacuation plans <laughs> and some other safety and security plans as well. Uh, but this one's taken the taken yeah. front right now. Absolutely. Jason, I, I'm, I'm, you're off the hook with the airport answer. So we're going to go to Terry. Fine. Well, I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. I'm, you know, from my perspective, I think both Monica and Jackie covered two of the things that, that hit home with me. I just think, you know, for us, it's just how much bigger than just the game of football this effort is. It's like I said, if this were just about hosting soccer matches and, you know, teams in market for a period of time, Slam dunk, no brainer. Most of us could probably handle that, you know, in our sleep to some degree. Um, however, it's the human rights, it's the sustainability efforts, it's your traffic plans, it's your egress, regress from stadium. How are you moving, you know, areas around your stadium because of the neutral site perspective? How are you handling, you know, the, you know, the commerce and the, 
you know, the rights to billboards and the right to signage and ambush marketing. I mean, so all the things that we do in a, you know, some of our typical events, add about 15 additional layers on top, if not more, because you're dealing with the world's largest single sporting event in the world. You're dealing with the global game. You know, one thing that I think has been uniquely challenging, I think for all of us is to getting people to understand how big the game of football is globally in a market or in a place where the NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, and all those things have dominated for so long to get them to realize that last year of the Super Bowl, there was 133 million viewers, but the World Cup, 3.5 billion. I mean, just the scale and the scope and the size and the magnitude and the fact that this event is going to be played in 10 U.S. cities, plus some additional cities in Canada and Mexico, what other sporting event touches that many destinations under one umbrella? It's the World Cup. So just learning all of these touch points on so many different levels has just been such a, it's been a joy. It's been a headache in some cases, you know, in certain places, but things that are just bigger than the game of football. It's just been spectacular. And I, you know, like I said, we've had conversations industry-wide about some of these things, but it's just bigger than the game of football. Well, bigger than the game of football, also bigger than your city too, because there's that many more cities, there's multiple countries. I mean, it's, it's truly global and it's fashion, as you pointed out, Terry, I want to switch uh, to our brain fuel segment. And I've got four questions. Each one of you are going to get only one of them. So we'll see oh, no. how you handle them here. Um, but look, you got to stay locked in with, with this process, Monica, you got that deadline coming up. Um, if you had the brain of someone else for a day, mm-hmm. who would you choose? I'm Steve Jobs all the way. Uh, what he did and created for Apple, how he was able to train his uh, uh, brain from a neuroscience, from a technology standpoint. Uh, I'll take Steve Jobs' brain. You are an Apple user. That's correct. I, I, Apple, yeah. Apple, Apple. Everything, well, except this computer is Apple. And I'm I have just making sure. Just making sure. Because it'd be ironic <laughs> if you said that and you had an Android. You know, I'm just... Actually, <laughs> new technology apple 12 uh, pro new apple watch i'm all new in apple so they have made they've got i know steve jobs is no longer with us but uh i uh, apple has gotten plenty of money of recent they've, they've made your life more productive let's put it that way so terry speaking of productivity what is your secret to productivity in terms of giving yourself a competitive advantage um list and listening um, making lists of organizational things that we need to get done, you know, but I think my, my biggest factor, I think out there is I listen. I think it's one of the best skill sets that I, I have. Um, I, I learned and developed that a long, long time ago. My parents said, listen before you talk. Um, and I, I learned to do that with my staff. I learned to do that with the communities I've been involved with. Um, I've learned it in the industry. So when we do take strides on activities is because, you know, myself and, you know, I've convinced others that this is what people really want and this is what people really want to see. So list and listening. Jason's a popular guy. So how do you mentally prepare for your day? Well, I have four children. So uh, it usually, my day starts with some combination of uh, problem solving related to, uh, to what's going on here at home. But um, for me, I, you know what, honestly, it starts on Sunday night for me. Uh, my wife and I, we get together, take a look at the week ahead, uh, start to figure out, you know, how, uh, she's, uh, got a terrific career and is very successful. So between our two careers and trying to blend and figure out, 
how the week is going to look. It starts there. And I think, you know, I think the most interesting thing that I've learned uh, after being at this for whatever it is, 30 plus years now is I used to start the day and uh, hope for a great day and be like, oh, you know what? I hope this is a smooth, easy day. And uh, you, you often, you know, you're, you, it's, it's not a great mindset to start with because you often are disappointed if there are challenges and things that, uh, that may categorize the day as a tough or difficult one. So I've stopped doing that. And frankly, uh, maybe it's with a little bit of seasoning and experience and uh, years of problem solving and relationship building and the things that are uh, important to uh, being a, a, you know, a successful leader uh, in a, you know, in a community like ours that's so collaborative is uh, I, I've gotten to the point where it's like, listen, anything that's going to be thrown my way uh, today, we're going to be able to handle, you know, we've surrounded ourselves with good people, uh, folks that um, can assist us with uh, whatever the challenges may be. So I think uh, for me, that's that's the real edge uh, to uh, to making sure that uh, you're always uh, focused and, and can give your best. So uh, I'm not sure if that totally answers the question. I will say, Monica, you know, the, the layup answer to who you, whose brain you'd want would be Gianni's. So you'd know exactly what cities he's leaning towards right now. But <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> Jackie, with, with all of your uh, experiences across the sports business industry, what's the most important aspect of the mental side of the business? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. You know, I think staying focused, I've got the, a little uh, note here right by my desk that says just stay focused and, you know, work the plan. And for me, you know, I'm, I'm a PR girl by training, so crisis communications, public relations, and um Everything I do starts and ends with a plan, you know, measuring it and, you know, tweaking it, moving to plan B, pending, however you want to say it. So, you know, I just, I, I thought you guys would like some stats. I pulled a media report on Cincinnati plus World Cup 2026. So, you know, these are stories from around the world, as we know. And we've been, and along with my colleagues here, we've been featured in more than 3,000 um, media stories, and I'm sure that's low. Uh, but that is, if we had to pay for that coverage, it'd be about $40 million. And that's about 3.2 billion media impressions. So 3.2 billion eyeballs. So for me, for Cincinnati, it's been a, an amazing experience just being on that list of 17 great U.S. cities. Um, we've learned so much as a community and we've come together in such a way that I'm proud of. And so either way we go, I know we'll have um, great, great, product, great foundation from which to build for the next bid that comes across our desk. Stay focused, get your mind right, listen, and get yourself connected with Apple products is what I got from that. So, um, you know, Jason, Jackie, Terry, Monica, really appreciate your time, insights, thoughts, and perspectives across um, the World Cup bid for 2026, and certainly appreciate your time on this sports ETA series uh, with the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by BrainFuel. Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by BrainFuel. BrainFuel is a cerebral beverage that helps you find your flow state, enhance mental focus, and cognitive endurance. Elevate the brain and the body. To get yours, visit brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com, and enter the code LIFO15 at checkout for your 15% off discount. 
L-I-F-O-1-5, and enjoy today's episode. And a reminder to get your copy of LOL, Loss of Logo, What's Your Next Move? Our new book written by Andy Dolich and your host, Jake Hirschman. If you go to mascotbooks.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll receive 50% off at your checkout or available on Amazon, ebook, and print.